0: The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading comes to us from the prophet Amos, chapter 5. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen, no more to rise, is the virgin Israel forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord in the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba, For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood, and cast down righteousness to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, and turns deep darkness into the morning, and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is His name who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate Him who reproves in the gate and they abhor Him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from Him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good. And establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord. In all the squares there shall be wailing. And in all the streets they shall say, Alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning and wailing to those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. So in the film... The man's holding his mortally injured friend, Blake, in his arms. And Blake asks, Am I dying? And his friend pauses before answering, Yes. Yes, I believe you are. And Blake motions for his friend to open up the pocket of his military uniform and take out a picture A picture of Blake's mother. And Blake looks at it for comfort. And holds it in his bloody hand and then up to his heart. Blake calls out to his mama for comfort. And he says to his friend, will you write to my mom for me? Tell her I wasn't scared. But you can see the fear in his face. He's not comforted by his mom's picture. And he looks up at his friend and he shouts, Talk to me. Tell me you know the way. And his friend, at a loss, begins to methodically recount directions for their mission. Uh, We're heading northeast to here, and then we're going to go straight to there, and then southwest to there. And as he's doing such, his friend's life On earth ends. And Blake's young body is left lifeless on the ground. Scenes like this from the film 1917 are powerful to us. Because we know at the end of our life, in these last moments, in these last words, each of us will be calling out some name for comfort. Some name for safety, some place for protection, calling out for the way. What will you say? What will you call? Who will you call? What is the way? Will you call out your reputation? I was a pretty good guy. I never killed anyone. Will you call out your accomplishments? I did pretty good. Pretty much more good than bad. I gave to the poor. I helped the needy. Will you call out your religious practices? I went to church every Sunday. I prayed the rosary. I prayed the Lord's Prayer every day. Last week, the book of Amos... Warned the powerful people of Israel who were abusers of God's blessing, he warned them by saying, Prepare to meet your maker. And today, Amos sings the nation of Israel's funeral song early before they're dead. And he pleads with anyone who will listen that when they lay dead and destroyed, to call out not for mama. But instead, call upon the name of the Lord. Because this name, the name of the Lord, that's the only name which can save you from the Lord. Call upon the only name who can save you from the Lord. The Lord himself. He is the only fortress for our funeral. So how does the Lord craft this funeral song in Amos? I'm going to teach you a little bit. It's a literary style. It's called a chiasm. And a chiasm in Scripture is like an idea mountain or an idea arrow pointing to a peak. On each side are themes that are parallel which lead you to see where you're going to the peak, to the top. And if you can look on your scripture, you can draw a line all the way to the end of verse 8, and then draw a line back from the end of the passage to verse 8, and you will see that mountain. We'll start our way up the mountain, at the bottom of the mountain. And the way in which we're going to do that is see that these funeral lyrics in Amos are like a fire at the bottom of the mountain. A devastating fire that is forcing us to move from low ground to higher ground. And Amos is leading us to the top. How do we get there? We start by hearing the funeral song. Second, we see that our strongholds that we've built are not safe. And finally, we're called to seek refuge within the protection of the Lord. And on this Reformation Sunday, as we mark the historical date in 1517, in which the prophet Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, confronting the abuses of grace and power in the church, we're going to be using Luther's life as a thread of illustration as we stop along the way up the mountain. So first stop at the bottom of the mountain. Hear your funeral song hear it we see this in the book ends of verses 1 to 3 and 16 and 17 just take a scan over 1 to 3 and 16 to 17 and what do you see there death the death of a nation the death of a people Not just a person, but a people. Oh, house of Israel. Amos is marking the end to the northern kingdom of Israel. They are going to be done. She has fallen. She will not rise again. The nation is called the Virgin Israel. Why? Because she's died an untimely death before she could really flourish, before she could get married and have children. She lies neglected on the land, none to raise her up. It's a sad thing for anyone to die. It's a tragic thing when this one so young would die. And it's a tragic thing also that there's no one to raise her up. No one to give her a proper funeral. You walked past the tomb of the unknown soldier. I don't know if you knew that when you were coming down here. And what makes that tomb so tragic is that that man died without anyone knowing who he was. Why is that? Well, verse 3 tells us, as we see in verse 3, there's a thousand leaving and a hundred coming back. There's a hundred leaving and there's ten coming back. What makes the tomb of the unknown soldier so sad and this virgin laying dead so sad? Because basically, everyone's dead. No one's there to raise her up because everyone's dead. The city went from the size of Chicago to the size of Chilton because everyone was killed in the battle. Therefore, verses 16 to 17 tell the people, start crying now. Because the Lord God, in his judgment against sin, is passing not over the people anymore, like they had known in Egypt, but he's passing through the middle of them. And there will be little who will survive it. I had a record when I was a kid, a record. That's how dated I am. Little 45, called The Railroad Runs Through the Middle of the House. No one's probably ever heard that song. But it goes, the railroad runs through the middle of the house. The trains all run through the middle of the house. Right smack dab in the middle of the house where the company owns the land. Okay. That's the song. That's the song. And the last verse says this. And I remember as a kid just going, oh, it's not a funny song anymore. I'm singing this song in the middle of the house. the end of the song. What happens to us, friends, when we get a glimpse of our death as a result of standing in the middle of the house, standing in the presence of God? That's what will happen to us. We have two options. We can sing a happy little song and just deny it, or we can do something about it. Denial of death is the path of 99% of the people in the world. We'll pretend he's not coming. The train's not coming. He doesn't exist. I'm going to Botox him away. I'm going to exercise him away. I'm going to entertain him away. Or do we do something about it? Try to make ourselves right before God. That's what we usually do. And how do we do that? Through religious practices or rituals. Martin Luther was warned of his funeral very early in his life. He was a law student who may have been beginning to hear the rumblings of the train coming based on his reaction in this story. As he was walking home from college on July 2nd, 1505, a large lightning storm ensued, and a bolt of lightning flashed right in front of Luther, causing that air pressure to actually drop him to the ground. And in that instance, Luther didn't deny his death. He did something. He got religious. Legend says he begged, Saint Anne, save my life. And if you save my life, Saint Anne, I will become a monk. And guess what? His life was saved and he became a monk. Do you hear the sound of taps playing for you? Is there something like lightning that's going to leave you leveled upon the ground right now? Are you seeing the end of the kingdom on earth that you are trying to build? You need to see that. Botox will last longer than your body will. The grave doesn't care how many marathons you've run or how successful a business you built. Hear the song. The train is coming. And start heading up the mountain to where God is leading you. And so we leave this first place of hearing the song of our funeral. And we move up to see that our strongholds that we're running to will not save us as the train's coming. Look with me at the next level toward the mountain peak. Verses 4 to 7 and 10 to 13. Our tendency... To do something about the funeral song leads us to trust in the good things God gives us rather than the good God himself. The Lord knows this temptation for us. And so you see in verse 5 what he says. Seek the Lord and live. Don't go to Bethel. Don't go to Gilgal. Don't go to Beersheba. Why are those places mentioned? Because those three places were religious strongholds. Places that convince these people, I'm okay because I'm a religious person. Bethel was the place where Jacob, who was one of the fathers of Israel, had his first encounter with the Lord. Bethel was marked with blessing. God blesses us because we're Israel. God blesses us because we're America. So they went there, not to the Lord. Gilgal was a place where the nation of Israel encamped on coming on the promised land. And Gilgal was marked as a confident place that enemies could be conquered. Because God is with us. Does that sound familiar, America? So they went there. To their armies. To their protections. To their confidence that these enemies will be conquered. Not to the Lord. And Beersheba Place where Abraham, the father of Israel, was told, God is with you in all that you do. There's a place where Jacob was told by the Lord, I will make you into a great nation. All of these promises that God's with them, okay, they find confidence in that, not in the Lord what happens when we find confidence in living in a country like the United States of America? We get really comfortable in these places of blessing, don't we? We forget the who who brought us here and only focus on the what we have. What happens? Look at the other side of the mountain, verses 10 to 13. These people who have been blessed by God become entitled to the things they have. It becomes all about them. What's in it for me? They don't accept correction. They take instead of give their stuff away. They consider themselves rich and they stiff arm the poor. They accept bribes to keep their status intact. They build really nice houses. They plant really rich wineries. They charge an arm and a leg to the poor in order to get a leg up themselves, all the while deluding themselves by saying, God is up here with me. God is clear in warning them. These strongholds will not last. You will burn up if you stay in them. Bethel will be consumed with none to put it out, verse 6 says. Unquenchable fire sounds a lot like Jesus' description of hell. These strongholds can't keep you safe. And the entitlement, a living of what's in it for me life, what happens there, verse 12 tells us. It's a piling up of transgressions and sins that are going to be judged by the Lord. The Lord, in his kindness, is pleading with any remnant of Israel who will listen to steer clear of these strongholds and keep heading up the mountain. Don't stop in your man-made fortresses. But we're like the characters in horror movies or in that Geico commercial who are being chased by someone who's about to kill them. And what do they do? They run to these horrible strongholds of safety. Have you seen this commercial? It makes me laugh every time I see it. They're running from this, this killer. And you hear one of them shout, let's run toward the car that's running right now. And they're like, that's a stupid idea. Let's go hide by the chainsaws. They all tuck behind the chainsaws. And then you hear at the end of the commercial, let's make it to the cemetery. We run to these shelters that will not protect us from the train's horn and the train's power. Martin Luther, after making a vow to live a religious life, set up all these strongholds he believed to keep him safe. What were they? His religiosity. Of his faith being centered on his own efforts. For the Lord to be pleased with him. Of all the monks... He was the one that was the most devout. He was the one who was praying nine times instead of the required eight. But it wasn't satisfying to him. He was the one that would walk out of confession and quickly walk back in. But it wasn't enough for him. He saw in his practices that his sin was becoming more and more obvious to him rather than less. And his spiritual director didn't know what to do with him. And so he just gave him more chores to do. Because he's just a nightmare. He just keeps running around. He couldn't. He was never satisfied. The religious house that he was building kept burning down. And none of his religious leaders even could put it out for him. What are your strongholds, church? What are your strongholds? What are you running to? Is it religion? How are you attending church and going through life saying, what's in it for me? How will this serve me and how, instead of how I might serve others? Where are you strutting around like God is on your team when in fact he's actually coaching on the other side of the field, seeing you as an opponent from the away team? What are your strongholds? Is it religion? Is it time? Are you stingy with your time by expecting others to give theirs away to serve you? Is it loving things which are evil and hating things that the Lord might call good? When you face your funeral, these strongholds of good things that have become God things will burn you up and you with them. So where do these two sides of the mountain lead us? We see our funeral. We run to our strongholds, which will burn up. And finally, it leads us to the peak where we find the power of a person. This passage pleads with us. Seek refuge within the protection of the Lord. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. It's a doxology. What we sing at the end of every service here at All Saints. It's a praise hymn to God. He who made the Pleiades and the Orion. That's the two sets of constellations which represent the seasons of the year. He made winter. He made summer. He who changes deep darkness into morning. He's the one who created the sun to rise. He darkens day into night. He's the one who turns the world into motion. He calls the water of the sea to pour out on the earth. That marks his ability to create oceans. And floods even. It's a praise hymn of a creator. And the doxology leads us to the peak of the passage with the five words naming the one who made us. The Lord is his name. Circle that. That's the peak of the passage. And then immediately following the peak, what do you see? He's not only the maker, he's also the destroyer he's also the judge. Amos's words are shouting from the top of the mountain. You are all going to die. All of your strongholds are going to burn up. You're not the center of the universe. The Lord is. As last week, Amos said, prepare to meet your God. He now shouts, here he is. The one who's in control of the entire earth is coming to judge the people on earth. Look at verse 9. As the Lord not only burns down strongholds, He destroys the strong, those who believe they can do life apart from Him. Up and down the mountain, do you hear the Lord pleading with the people? Seek me that you will live, verse 4. Seek the Lord that you may live, verse 6. Seek good and not evil that you may live, verse 14. He's pleading in verse 15 that even though the nation of Israel will fall, to ri- fall dead to rise no more, The Lord God of hosts, another name to describe the general of the heavenly army. The colonel, the general, general, sorry, that's the highest, may be gracious to the few who would actually listen to what he's saying. If you would turn to him, run up the mountain to the peak and call upon his name, maybe, maybe he would be gracious to you. If we took Martin Luther's famous words differently, like we sang A Mighty Fortress, and we thought about the foolishness of hiding and fortressing ourselves in ourselves, hear how it would sound. A burned-up fortress is ourselves, a shelter always failing. No helper me amid the flood. The enemy of God's army, the devil, the evil one, wants you to believe you can find safety in your own made protections. But the God who made us is the God who is able to destroy us because we hid ourselves in someone or something else than him. The only safety... It's found at the top of this mountain. The Lord of the mountain. And there's a narrow door in which to enter his safekeeping. The one who never needed a funeral. That's the door we enter through. Because Jesus gave death a funeral. He loved good. He hated evil. The only one righteous who kept the law perfectly. He established justice by raising up the dead sinner off the battleground. He became our Passover blood so that we didn't have to stand when God passed through us. We could hide in the safety of this loving God. The Lord is His name. The Lord Jesus is His name. Hide away in Him. Luther, in his religious frustration, was really just trying to make himself righteous. And he wrote this. The word Righteous struck my conscience like lightning. It frightened me every time I heard the word righteous. Because if God is righteous, then he punishes. But by the grace of God, as I once meditated upon these words, the righteous shall live by faith, there suddenly came into my mind the thought that if we as righteous are to live by faith, And if the righteousness of faith is to be for salvation, saving to everyone who believes, then it is not our merit, but the mercy of God. My soul was refreshed, for it was the righteousness of God by which we are justified and saved through Christ. Saints, seek God and live by hiding within his fortress walls of righteousness never your own. Let him take on your death sentence of justice and declare you innocent. As you lay, stand in the middle of the house preparing to meet your maker, may you be the 1% who stands in Jesus Christ. In his last moments of life on earth, Martin Luther was asked by his friend, Do you want to die standing firm on Christ and the doctrine you have taught? And Luther answered emphatically, yes. Luther knew his standing wasn't his religious accomplishments or reform of the church. His standing was Christ and Christ alone. His last words were not mama. His last words were, we are beggars. (laughs) This is true. Luther chose not to focus on his years of being a great religious leader, but on being a beggar, pleading for entrance in the fortress that is Jesus Christ, our righteousness. And I'm sure Luther heard him say, Welcome home, son. There's food. There's shelter. There's safety. There's life eternal right here in the middle of my house. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would continue to remind us where we find our righteousness and our hope. It's never in us. Lord, every week I am, we are so tempted to believe that we can earn favor with you. We are so tempted to run to strongholds like entertainment or distraction to keep us from hearing the train whistle that's coming. But we pray, Father, that when you find us in the middle of your house, that you would find us hidden in the fortress that will not be shaken, Jesus Christ. May you still our souls in that and quiet our hearts to know that in him we are safe forever. Amen.